Welcome, adventurers. If you have not yet listened to episode 5, please do so now. For the rest, dare we return to find out what it is Karia has seen? I fear we must. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon If it wasn't for the green eyes and the fact that she was sitting in Esmeray's own chair, Caria would have never guessed this was her host. Esmeray's skin, which now seemed to stretch over her bones, had taken on an ashen gray hue. Her hair was thin and gray, hanging limply down to the sides of her skeletal face. The robes she wore were the same, only now they were wrinkled and stained, the embroidery worn and frayed at the sleeves. Esmeray's eyes were still green, but duller, as if the face of the once beautiful emeralds had been scratched and marred, trapping the former shine within. Her breath was labored and rattled faintly whenever she inhaled. Had Caria been meeting this person for the first time, she would have said she was on death's door and much advanced in age. Ninety years or more. Esmeray reached out her bony hand and gestured for Caria to sit in the chair across from her. Caria, finally letting her hand down from her dagger, crossed the room to stand next to the offered chair. Greetings, Esmeray. And then, contrary to her normal reserve, she added, You have looked better. Esmeray cackled again as Caria finally sat. So it would seem, she replied, though little is as it seems. When it comes to magic, her lips peeling into a disturbing smile, I am glad that you have answered my summons. There are few that I would trust with what I am about to ask. I appreciate the confidence. What item do you wish retrieved? Another cackle. Always to the point is Caria. I wish for you to recover the urn of skillish half-handed. Caria's face remained unchanged, though she could hardly believe what she was hearing. Behind her mask of professionalism, there was a moment of near humor, assuming this was an odd joke to go with Esmeray's new macabre visage. But it quickly sank into dismay as she realized from Esmeray's continued stare that she was most likely serious. The Ukwala were a species of lizard folk that adapted to life in harsh lands long ago and the most infamous Ukwala of all time was Skillish half-handed. Skillish was a ruthless warrior king that laid waste to city after city some two hundred years ago. He was known as merciless, cruel, and unusually aggressive. It was said that when Skellish was young and still gathering supporters to his cause, he met with a rival chief to offer him entrance into his tribe. The chief refused to follow Skellish, but agreed to join their tribes in an alliance in which they were to hold equal power. The deal was made and shook on. That night, before his followers, Skellish, with his own sword, cut off the four fingers of the hand he had used in the handshake that sealed the deal. 
He held the bloody stump before his followers and proclaimed there could be only one ruler, and that by removing his hand, the deal was broken. That night, Skellish and his followers stormed the camp of their new allies, killing their chief, his bodyguards, and all of his family. In the morning, the remaining lizard folk paid tribute to Skellish, increasing his hoard. The story of this spread, and from this point on, he was known as Skellish Half-Handed. He gathered a massive hoard and was feared as a near demon for over thirty years. Legend says when he died, he was burned on a pile of a thousand bodies and interred in an urn in a cave inside the burning hills. He had been revered as a hero of his people ever since. The silence between Caria and Esmeray drew out, Caria finally speaking. This is not a normal thing, you ask, even for one with my talents. It has been a long time since Skellish's passing, and very few visit the burning hills and live. For something this complex, I would need to hire other experts to travel with me. It is hard for me to imagine a sum of gold that would cover my explorations and the risk taken to find this urn. If it even exists, gold is of little use to me. I am dead. Esmeray placed her hands on the desk in front of her and considered Caria for a moment. Of course I understand the difficulties involved. I can start by assuring you the urn exists, though it is well guarded. It has become a shrine of sorts. Ukwala warriors and chiefs visit it and pay tribute, asking the spirit of Skellish to guide them. Though I don't know how well Ukval takes to this. <laughs> I have used the magics and unseen servants to seek out its location. I can provide you with a map so you will not have to waste time exploring, as you say. You would just need to devise a way to remove it and return it to me. And what price are you offering me? What is my life worth to you? Caria retorted. Esmeray removed one hand from the desk and made a quick gesture. Five large chests that sat near the base of the bookshelves behind her popped open. All were filled to bursting with gold, gems, and jewelry. Five hundred fifty-two thousand eight hundred and nine gold pieces. Give or take a few... Plus, if need be, I will cover the expenses for equipment and your other experts you mentioned. Caria's professional shell cracked for just a second, her eyes widening for the briefest of moments. This amount would cover the ransom for a king. What was Esmeray not telling her? That sum of money implied much unsaid. You would pay me this much for an urn? Caria asked. As I said earlier, when it comes to magic, little is as it seems. To you it is an urn. To me it is the most valuable item in the world. I do appreciate the value of your life as well. So, I have little doubt this will be the only time in your life that this amount of money is offered to you. 
Does your reputation still hold? Will this gold buy the item I desire? Caria tried to remain rational and weigh pros and cons, but it was very difficult when her eyes were filled with the candlelit shine coming from the chests. So it was dangerous. That was nothing new. So there may be secrets and other unknowns ahead. This is what Caria did better than anyone. Prepared for and faced the unknown. I will accept this offer as payment for my services, she said, her stomach tightening into a knot. Excellent. Esmeray smiled another rictus smile. I hope you will understand, but for such a lucrative deal, I must insist we sign a contract. She reached into the upper drawer of her desk and pulled out a fresh new vellum. Spidery handwriting scrawled in black ink covered the surface. She passed it across the table for Caria to inspect. Caria had expected something horrendous or strange in the contract, but it all seemed in order. The only thing that gave her pause was the clause. Should the provider of services attempt to sell, trade, or deliver the requested item to any other than the author of this contract, or dispose of it in any other way, the life of the provider of services is forfeit. Caria looked up. You do not trust me, she said in a vexed tone. She did not like having a professionalism questioned. As I have stated, and as you can surmise for the sum I have offered, this object is the most important thing in the world to me. It is the culmination of years' work, so I hope you will forgive me the formalities of an eccentric wizard. Esmeray pandered. Caria stared for a silent moment. A quill? she asked. Esmeray grinned again and handed her a quill with a well-made silver tip. Caria waited a moment longer, but nothing more was forthcoming. Ink. Esmeray drummed her bony fingers on the table, then said, And now we come to the final commitment to this decision. And for that, there is one more detail to this job that I must impart. All evidence of humor vanished from Esmeray's face. She sat up from her hunkered slouch, her green-eyed gaze becoming intent. To remove Skellish's urn from its place of rest requires a blood sacrifice. Caria stopped, placing the contract and quill down on the desk. So this was the catch. You know well what services I provide, Ismeri. I will not change that, even for this exorbitant sum. I do not kill, except in the defense of myself or my colleagues. As Caria pushed back her chair, Esmeray struggled to stand, holding up a withered hand. Wait, you do not take me for such a fool as to think that I misunderstand your nature. The amount of blood need not be lethal. However, it must be human, and it must be fresh. The urn is bound magically to the altar on which it sits. Only with the gift of blood will it allow itself to be moved. The amount spilled from a deep cut should suffice. Allow itself to be moved, came Caria's irritated question. Is this an urn you ask me to retrieve, or something more? Will it harm me? or those I may work with? 
If you truly do want this object, stop with the secrecy. Your offered price is sufficient to buy some leeway, but your reticence to share vital information is trying my better judgment and making me reluctant to take this job. There is nothing else, came Esmeray's frustrated reply. For me, the urn is something more. The urn itself poses no threat to you. In fact, it will be bonded in a way to the one who makes the blood sacrifice. I need your skill to free it from its savage owners. And then, in almost a pleading tone, I need it. Think of the freedom and power you will have after completing this task for me. Esmeray shuffled to the side so that she did not stand between Caria and the massive bounty of treasure that sparkled in the chests behind. Caria stared long at the chests and finally spoke. I will make the blood sacrifice. I would not ask such a thing of a hired colleague. Yes, came Esmeray's response. I knew Caria could be counted on for the most difficult of jobs. I would ask none before she. Caria bent once again over the desk, taking up the quill. Ink? She asked again. Time for the first blood sacrifice. Esmeray crooned. Caria stared at her for a moment. Then, with the silver nib of the quill, pricked her thumb. It bled more than would seem normal for such a small prick. The quill seemed to drink wicking the blood from her thumb. Caria winced, but wished to be done with this exchange. She moved the quill to the bottom of the contract, scrawling a large C as her mark. As she raised her head to look up from the contract, she saw Esmeray draw a small knife across the palm of her hand. She held the wounded hand over the contract, and thick, nearly black blood dripped much too slowly from her palm to patter on the face of the vellum. As each drop hit, a small puff of black smoke rose into the air. When the third drop had hit the page, the black ink and blood-brown writing flared, as if made from fire for just a second, and then the entire contract vanished. Esmeray looked up into Caria's staring eyes. It is done. What has Caria gotten herself into? And will she survive? There are more tales of Caria to be told, but not quite yet. Join me next week for the beginning of a new tale, His Last Night. creepy. Anyway, if you're still listening here after six episodes, I just wanted to still say thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you're enjoying uh, Tales from the Dungeon and have made it episodes one through six, uh, it'd be a huge help if you told somebody about it. Tell a friend, tell a relative, tell somebody that might like it. Uh, that's a huge help to me, other than just listening. Also, just listen and enjoy. But if you can tell somebody else, that's a big, 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 did I say big? Big help. So, yeah, give it a like, give it a listen, tell somebody else.
Thanks.